Amen. That's the gospel we get, can get excited about. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. All because of Jesus. All because of what Jesus accomplished in our place. You can be seated, and as you do, join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every Sunday morning we get to celebrate the power of the resurrection, the risen Savior who is central to everything in all of creation. We thank you in particular for this Sunday morning, the Sunday morning that we get to culminate really all the Sunday mornings together to say, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and we believe that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. We believe in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. So Lord, would you help us today? Would you help us to believe and confess that you are Lord, that you are central, that you are the boss and the master of all that is, not just cosmically, but intimately in our lives. You are the Lord. Would you speak to us from your word? Would you help us to see the centrality of the resurrection? And would you let that change us, mold us, and shape us? God, I pray for those in this room that are not trusting in Jesus. Maybe they think they are. Maybe at one point they made some type of decision that makes them think they are following you, but aren't really. I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that you would help them to see their need for Christ, not just at some point in the past or at some point in the future, but they would see their need for you in this moment. And they would cast themselves on you wholly and fully by your grace, for your glory. Do your work this Easter Sunday. I pray you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, Christ is risen. He's risen risen indeed. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. I'm so excited that you're here. If you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you as well. Thank you for being here. We pray that this service would be encouraging to you, but also challenging to you. Ask the questions of what Jesus and his resurrection means, not just for Easter Sunday, but for the rest of your life. I'm excited this morning that you are here. I'm excited that you're here to hear the message of the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, no one here probably remembers this, but last Easter Sunday, right here, I took something of a risk. I spent the entire sermon last Easter laying out the most convincing evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. My goal last Easter Sunday was to prove that the resurrection is historically true. Jesus actually died and actually physically, bodily rose from the dead. I said last year, I don't believe dead people get out of the ground. Like if you were to tell me my aunt or my cousin or somebody, they were dead and they came to life, I'd say, nah, that doesn't happen. I don't believe that that normally happens, but I do believe that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead and I stake my entire life on that historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus is a fact that demands to be reckoned with. And this is an all-important truth to consider because Christianity rises and falls on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, you can't just say, that's fine for some people to believe, but 
I don't really believe it. You, you can't do that. You have to either say he did or he did not rise from the dead. And if he didn't, why are you here? Go on with your life. But if he did, and it changes everything about everything. Jesus actually died. He actually physically rose from the dead to, to pay the penalty for my sin, to give me eternal life. For all of these things that we sing about and say, for them to be true. And if He didn't do that, if the Gospel is just a made-up story, then Christianity is the dumbest thing ever. And it's not just dumb, but it's wrong and powerless. But if Jesus actually did rise from the dead, that makes Him the most powerful truth ever. It makes Him the most dynamic reality in all of the universe. And He demands, and He deserves, everyone hears total allegiance. That was the message last Easter. But this Easter, I want to assume the fact of the resurrection of Jesus and go a little bit deeper into the question of why. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? What is the meaning of it all? What are the implications for how we live our lives? And since we're studying the book of Romans, as a church right now, we're just going passage by passage through the book of Romans. I thought it would be good for us to ask the question, what does the book of Romans in particular say to us as to why Jesus was raised from the dead? And so what I've done is I picked out seven passages in Romans where we're told something of why Jesus was Raised. And I want to show them to you. I just want to, we don't have time to explore them. That's why we're doing this whole series in Romans, but I'm just going to point them out to you and just sort of lead us to delight in the truths together as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. So my prayer is that God would solidify what we believe and satisfy our souls in Him. Solidify what we believe and satisfy us in Him. And so Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1, and get ready to flip through, through the book quite a bit this morning. Now, if you're using one of those Roman Scripture journals, so you don't want to just take the next passage and start writing these notes, but in the very back of that Scripture journal, there's five or six pages of just blank pages. This would be a great place to take notes for this Sunday in that Romans Scripture journal. So seven resurrection truths from Romans. Only one of these passages is going to be one that we've already looked at in Romans. And so the rest will be future to us. So hopefully this builds some anticipation for where we're going over the next year or so as we continue to study the book of Romans. Seven resurrection truths. Here's number one. Number one, re Jesus' resurrection authenticates His deity. Resurrection of Jesus authenticates his deity. And so let's remind ourselves of how Paul starts this most important letter ever written. Look at Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So right from the very first passage of the book of Romans, we can tell that the resurrection of Jesus is supremely important to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to explain the gospel, and right from the very beginning, he begins talking about the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel, Paul says, is concerning Jesus. The gospel's about Jesus Christ. And then Paul exults in who Jesus is. He says Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. This reminds us of the prophecy that Jesus would be the son of David who would reign on David's throne forever. And then in verse 4, he says that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Now, the first thing to understand about verse 4 is that it's not teaching that Jesus became the son of God when he was resurrected, when he was resurrected. Jesus has always been eternally the son of God. But in the resurrection, a declaration was made. Jesus was raised in order to say something, in order to declare something. In His resurrection, He demonstrated, Paul says, to the whole world that He is the Son of God in power by the Spirit and now reigns eternally as the Messiah. In other words, Paul is saying that the resurrection is like a stamp of approval on all that Jesus did in His life and in His death. The resurrection authenticates that Jesus is indeed the Lord, that He is God. So sometimes people get valuables authenticated, right? Have you ever gotten something valuable authenticated? For example, autographs sometimes get authenticated by an expert who gives them a sort of certificate declaring that this is a real autograph and not a fake one. Now listen, when an autograph gets authenticated, it doesn't become real in that moment. It doesn't all of a sudden become real and not fake. No, it was real, and the authentication declares it to be so, proclaims it to be so. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus didn't become Lord and God at His resurrection, but rather He was declared to be so through the power of His resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be Lord through His resurrection. And thus, the resurrection is undeniable proof that Jesus is who He claimed to be. You wonder if Jesus really is who He claimed to be? Is He really the Lord? All you have to do is look at the resurrection. It is the authentication, the stamp, the declaration that He is, that he is all that He claimed to be. And so, church family, what is your response to this fact? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. And that declares His Lordship. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection produces our justification. Jesus' resurrection produces our justification. So turn to Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. We're going to see in just a few weeks because we just ended chapter 3 in our study of the book of Romans. So next Sunday, God willing, we're going to move into chapter 4. We're going to see that what Paul does in chapter 4 is he uses Abraham as an example of Old Testament justification by faith alone. Paul leans heavily on God's declaration that Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. Look at Paul's conclusion at the end of chapter 4 beginning in verse 23. Paul says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. 
So he's saying, God didn't say that just for Abraham. God said it for you and me today. He said it for our sake. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised. Why? For our justification. Again, we see the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, we are the ones who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus our Lord. This is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is one who believes in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul knows the resurrection is a fact of history. And verse 25 says, He was delivered for our trespasses, which I think is a clear echo of Isaiah 53. He was delivered up in the place of our trespasses for God's glory. God put Him forward in this. He is our glorious substitution, our Savior. But then Paul says something very odd at the end of chapter 4. He says Jesus was raised for our justification. Now the reason this is odd is because we're used to Paul grounding our justification in the death of Jesus, not in the resurrection of Jesus. But I think this is a really helpful thought for us to bake into our theology of the gospel. Paul thought of the cross and resurrection as intimately tied together. He knew that one without the other was meaningless, right? If Jesus died on the cross but wasn't raised, we wouldn't have justification before God. A dead Savior is of no value to us. And if Jesus died an ordinary death without bearing the sins, without bearing the sins of the people who had trusted him, and then risen from the dead, the resurrection would mean nothing for our salvation. If it was just Lazarus' death and resurrection, that resurrection means nothing to our faith, to our life, other than just confirming the power of Jesus. And so the cross and resurrection in Paul's mind are intimately tied together. The resurrection in this sense is what produces our justification, Paul says, because the resurrection declares that Jesus' death was a sufficient payment for our justification. And so a right relationship with God, which is what justification means, a right relationship with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just as much through His resurrection as through His death. He was raised up so that we could be declared right before God. Jesus' resurrection gives us the confidence that we have an eternal right standing with God. He was raised for our justification. So church family, what is your response to this fact? Christ is risen. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Third, Jesus' resurrection is also our resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is also our resurrection. And so turn over to Romans chapter 4. I mean, Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. This is the lengthiest passage we'll look at this morning. Notice what Paul says. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says we've been united to Jesus in His death. When Jesus died, Paul says, we died with Him to our sin. But the point I want to highlight is that he says when Jesus was resurrected, we believers were also resurrected with Him. We are united to Jesus in His death and in His resurrection. When we trust in Jesus, we are united to Jesus like a branch is united to a tree. When we become a Christian, we're joined with Jesus so that when Jesus died, we died with him. And so that when Jesus was raised from the dead, we spiritually are made alive in him. United to Jesus, we have his resurrection life coursing through our veins. We have been raised spiritually in Jesus. And Paul's point, notice in chapter 6, is that this means we're no longer slaves to our sin, but we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus' resurrection. And so Paul says, this is the ultimate meaning of baptism. Thank God we get to experience baptism here in just a few moments. This is what baptism symbolizes, he says. Baptism symbolizes that we are dead to sin and we are alive because of Jesus' resurrection. Immersion in water physically pictures this union with Jesus. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we are given life in Him. We're given the certainty of the resurrection life, not only now, but it's also in the future. We have now and we will always have resurrection life permeating our souls. Paul says we know that because Jesus rose, we know that we will also live with Him. See, Christianity is based on the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark, like so many say. True faith is faith based on historical facts, the actual death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And verse 9 says that Jesus is done with death forever. Death no longer has dominion over him. And what is true of Jesus it's true of us because of our union with Him. If the vine has life, the branches have life. Jesus' resurrection is also our resurrection. And so church family, what is your response to this awesome fact? Christ is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. Fourth truth about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the source of our power. Jesus' resurrection is the source of our power. Look over at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So this verse says almost the same thing that he said in Romans chapter 6 that we just looked at, but it adds this little fact that the Spirit 
is now dwelling in believers. And so this whole passage is about the Holy Spirit who dwells in believers. And Paul says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and gives life to us. This verse has a ton of implications. And I hope when we get to Romans 8 later this year, we can explore in greater detail the implications of this truth. But for now, I just want to highlight that Paul is saying we have the same power dwelling in us that raised Jesus from the dead. Just think for a moment how much power it took to raise Jesus from the dead. It took more power than any of us have ever seen or experienced in our lives. Think about maybe a video of something really powerful that you've seen, something like a lightning strike. A lightning strike has the power to throw a grown man across a field. Or think about a video of a tsunami, a wall of water that can swallow a massive brick building. That power pales in comparison to the power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Paul says the same Spirit dwells in us and gives life to our mortal bodies. This is a stunning reality for everyday life. We have, act, we have resurrection power now. We have resurrection power available for us to help us live these lives following Jesus. So friends, let me ask you a tough question. What in your life have you given up on because you don't have the power to do it? What in your life have you given up on? You've thrown your hands up saying, I don't, I don't have power to do it, so I'm just going to let this thing be. What addiction in your life have you allowed to take hold of your heart and you just assume you're going to have to live with that addiction for the rest of your life? Can I give you some good news this morning? In Jesus, we have resurrection power dwelling in us. What habit or sin pervades your heart has just taken over who you are and you just assume you're going to have to live with that? Friends, in Jesus, we have power that calls a dead man to rise from the grave. There is more than enough power available for you in Jesus, indwelt by the Spirit. There is more than enough power for whatever God has called you to do and to be. The resurrection proves that God can change you and me. If we're trusting in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and thus we have unlimited power available to help us live lives pleasing to God. So church family, what is your response to this awesome truth? Christ is risen. He's risen. risen indeed. Fifth, Jesus' resurrection assures us of his ongoing work. Jesus' resurrection assures us of his ongoing work on our behalf. And so look with me at Romans 8, 33 and 34. Paul says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, the first thing I want you to see in verse 34 is the importance of Jesus' resurrection. 
Paul is speaking about the fact that there is no one to condemn us because Jesus is the one who died for us. There's no condemnation because Jesus died for us. The death of Jesus assures there's no condemnation because Jesus took our condemnation on himself. But then notice what Paul says. But more than that, (laughs) what? More than that, more than the death of Jesus in your place for your sins, he was raised. And so more than the death of Jesus, he was also resurrected. And that resurrection, Paul says, assures us that Jesus is interceding for us at the Father's right hand. What does the resurrected Lord do at the right hand of the Father? Paul says he's interceding for us, which means that Jesus is pleading our case and standing in our place. He's pleading our case and standing in our place. And if we follow Paul's flow of thought through verse 35, we can say that if if Jesus interceding for us secures us in the love of God and gives us the knowledge that we will never, no, never be separated from God's love. The resurrection gives us that peace. It removes guilt and fear. The resurrection does all of this for us practically. It assures us that Jesus continues to work for us, continues to intercede for us, continues to assure us of God's great love for us. And so do you see Paul's logic? If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, he would not be able to intercede for us. His resurrection assures us of all of his ongoing work on our behalf. And so, church family, what's your response to this truth? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Number six. Jesus' resurrection must be confessed and believed. Jesus' resurrection must be confessed and believed. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So notice in this passage, Paul gives two requirements for salvation. Confess and believe. Confess and believe. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we must believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And so the centrality of the resurrection could not be any clearer in the book of Romans, could it? It can't be any clearer. Listen, if you do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you are not a Christian. Let me say it clear. If you do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you are not a Christian. You do not have salvation. Your eternal destiny is not heaven. You have not been saved. I'm just reading the Bible. This is God's Word. If you don't believe the resurrection of Jesus, you are not a Christian. Every person who experiences salvation is a person who believes that Jesus died and rose again. These are central truths that must be confessed and believed. Now, why confess and believe? Well, aren't those essentially the same thing? Right? We confess what we believe, and we believe what we confess. So by saying confessing and believe, I think he's he's making this more real. He's defining what believe means for us. Believe doesn't just mean you acknowledge it's true. 
Do you hear that? Believing doesn't mean that you just acknowledge that something's true. Confessing something with your mouth is an extra step. It's solidifying that belief. If you never say what you believe out loud, do you really believe it? I think that's the question Paul's asking. That's not real belief. Just simply agreeing with the fact of the resurrection is not real belief. You must confess it. Remember, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we believe will be what we confess. And so I think confess and believe is a way to say you really believe it. You have true faith. You believe in such a way that you're not embarrassed by it or ashamed of it. So tell somebody that Jesus is Lord. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. Tell someone that Jesus is Lord. Declare it publicly. And here we have this opportunity right now to confess what it is that we believe. And so, church family, what's your response to this truth? Christ is risen. He's risen risen indeed. Well, seventh and finally, Jesus' resurrection means Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus is Lord of all. So this final truth about the resurrection is in Romans chapter 14. Let's read verses 7 through 9. Romans 14, beginning in verse 7, Paul says this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be both Lord, that Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is a really profound point that Paul is making in this passage. The context of Romans 14 is how we should not pass judgment on one another over non-essential matters. He says it is foolish to divide over issues of preference and personal conviction. And Paul's point is that what unites us is far more fundamental than what divides us. If we live, we live to the Lord, which means we live for the Lord's glory. If we die, we die to the Lord, which means all of life from beginning to end is about the Lord, is in the hand of the Lord. And to this, and to this Paul says, Jesus died and rose again. He says, to this end. To what end? Well, to the end that Jesus might be Lord of both the living and the dead. And so the resurrection makes Jesus the Lord both of those who are alive and of those who are dead. And if this is true, if Jesus really is Lord of all, then why would we pass judgment or put a stumbling block in the way of our brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died and rose again? He's saying it makes no sense to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, to confess Him as Lord of of our lives, and then despise fellow believers in the local church. That's inconsistent with what we believe. And so the resurrection unites us around what is central, that Jesus is Lord. The resurrection is the foundation of our love for one another and our respect for one another, and our convictions in the Lord. So the resurrection means that Jesus is Lord. Did you notice as we moved 
through these verses about the resurrection in Romans that over half of them connect the resurrection of Jesus to the confession that Jesus is Lord. This was so exciting and edifying for me to see as I studied this. One of the benefits of studying a theme like this in a book is to see how Paul plays it out over 16 chapters. Just re remember what we've just read. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Romans 4.24 says it was counted to him, counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Romans 10.9 says we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And in chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, I count nine times Paul uses Lord to refer to Jesus in the context of the centrality of the resurrection. So he's saying the resurrection of Jesus makes clear who the Lord is. It makes undoubtedly clear who is the boss, the master, the owner of it all. It's the one who got up from the grave. The boss is the one who rose from the dead. And so church family, what is your response to this truth? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So Jesus' resurrection is a fact. And why he rose put some joyfully lofty responsibility on our shoulders. It's not something we can just confess and go on living our lives as if it makes no difference. One day, every knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so my plea to you this morning is to confess that today, right now. The resurrection means that Jesus is Lord of your life. Confess that with your lips and believe that in your heart and live in the power of the resurrection every day, not just on Easter Sunday. Amen. Let's pray that would be true of us. Oh God, we need your help. We need your help to die to ourselves and to live these lives by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that these truths are true and we can build our lives and eternity on them. And I pray that they would find their way deep into our hearts, that, that everything that beats in us would beat for your glory, that we would proclaim that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are master of all that is, that we would declare to this world, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could celebrate this together. And I pray as we sing this final song and as we, as we participate in these three baptisms this morning, that your glory would be seen, that your beauty would be beheld, and that we would be changed to live new lives in you. Lord, change us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.